0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Friday, June the 17th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 18, Chapter 18 is often remembered for the intercession of Sodom and Gomorrah at the end of 18, but there's a whole context before that. I remember reading this to my children as we had this big Concordia study Bible, not study Bible, kids Bible, and to be able to talk through those dynamics, which were very important, and we also hear Sarah laughing, which points us, to the name of Isaac. So there's much promise as we look at chapter 18. There's much of a reality of our need of a savior because destruction does eventually come and it shows us the heart of our Lord. So as we look at it today, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back uh, almost a regular guest. He's on KFU all the time, the Reverend Dr. Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor Boo, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Well, blessed Pentecost to you too, and I'm very happy to be back.
0: Well, I'm into that. So, Pastor, you know, you've been, you've been on quite often. I know you're on other programs, but tell us what's going on for you and the Saints of St. Saint John.
1: Well, you know, I'm going into my second year here at St. John, and it's just been a, a wonderful congregation, a group of faithful people. Uh, we've been very busy, you know, baptisms and weddings and even funerals, sending people off to glory and celebrating their faith. Um, also here, we've uh, been really active in reaching out to our community, having concerts and VBS and just all the amazing things that Lutheran congregations are up to in their communities. Uh, we're doing here in Laverne, and it's just a wonderful place to do it. Kids are out of school. Kids are out of school, and the weather's finally warming up pretty good. And so, yeah, we are completely blessed.
0: I would say that when you're in this well, I'm in central Minnesota, you're in southern Minnesota, and that is, let's be honest, there's climate difference there. It's amazing to reevaluate, really but I'm not going to get into that today, is still mid-June. I have mornings where I wonder, should I put a sweatshirt on or not? But I maybe maybe I'm being a little paranoid. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, that's the amazing thing. I preached a sermon once where, <laughs> where it says you have to believe it to see it. And this was, I believe it was on uh, Unbelieving Thomas. And the example I use, though, is that I woke up this morning. Of course, that's back in May. But I woke up this morning and there are there's snow on the ground. And at the time I had to see it to believe it as opposed to believe it to see it. And, and that's kind of what Thomas needed. He needed to see it to believe it. So yeah, the climate's different. I'm, I'm from Western North Carolina where it's so temperate, you know, the highs are in the eighties during the summer. I mean, it gets hot, but still it's just nice and temperate, all the, the cool shade and the trees and you come out here to Minnesota and as much as I love it and I do, you know, I was told by somebody, every tree you see. Somebody planted, which is a mm. little different mm-hmm. than, say, just like the mountains that are covered. Basically, where I'm from is a, is technically a rainforest. So there are fewer trees out here. Lots of wind right here in the corner between Iowa that's and true. South Dakota. So a lot of that's different. But, you know, people, uh, people are amazing. And uh, this area is amazing. And so my family and I are extremely happy here. It's great.
0: Oh, well, thanks be to God for that. So, Pastor, a good reminder to our listeners to pray as our churches get very involved in their communities, whether it's through VBS or serving their community in different ways across the country. You know, middle of summer can be that way, and it can be a little bit. Um, I want to say frustrating because in Minnesota, people are going to the lake. They're just sprawling out like you know cattle when they open up the door in spring. They just run out. And Lord, give us an opportunity to reach our communities in the name of Jesus. So, Pastor, on
1: that note, as we pray, can you begin our time in prayer? Sure, thanks, dearest, most holy and heavenly Father. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord. You give them what they need at the proper time. Give us a fresh perspective. We live in a world that is beset by hurt and pain. But don't let us forget the joys of life, uh, the gift of life that you've given us. Lord, fix our eyes on you as we enjoy the summer weather, as we move into the fall and harvest season, and just the cycles of life that remind us that all things come to us by your good and gracious hand. As As we study your holy word here in Genesis guide our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, so that we might learn and discern that which you would have us know. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. We'll start by hearing the word of our Lord this morning, which is Genesis chapter 18, the first 21 verses. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version as we hear the word of God. And the Lord Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and calf that he had prepared and set it before them and stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? Then he said, She's in the tent. The Lord Yahweh said, I will surely return to you in about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord Yahweh said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> Then the, then the men set out from there and they went, looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and sent them on their way. The Lord Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. This is the word of our Lord this morning to study. Pastor, how do you want to start us off on the right foot?
1: Well, you know what? Let's begin by looking just for a moment backwards. Let's look at um, chapter 17. You see, mm-hmm. I think it's just important to note that to catch us up, God has already appeared to Abraham and he has made his covenant with him. God appears to him when he's 99 years old and he says, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. This is when he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, He changes Sarai's name to Sarah, and then God gives him circumcision as a symbol of the covenant between he and Abraham. Of course, Abraham has his whole family, his servants, everybody circumcised. But then to show how he's going to fulfill that promise, God says that Abraham will have a son and his name will be Isaac. And the son will be born to Sarah. And Abraham laughs and he asks... Shall a child be born to a man who was 100 years old? Shall, sh- or, you know, 99, 100? Shall, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then he suggests he puts up Ishmael. We, and we know Abraham's complicated relationship with Ishmael. You know, how about this guy? But no, God has his plan. And so the chapter ends with everybody being circumcised. And we head in to chapter 18. And here in chapter 18, the Lord's going to appear again to Abraham. And this is where
0: we, we, Pastor Jewel and I yesterday, really had to fight hard not to get lost in some of the obvious questions. Circumcision, like, oh, oh how does that work? You know, and you just say, ouch, you know, throughout <laughs> chapter 17. and And you do have that dynamic where many times people remember Sarah laughing. They don't necessarily remember Abraham laughing. And it brings us back to the importance of a name. Sarai becomes Sarah, that new identity we have in Christ. He gives us a new name, gives us a new identity. And yet there is still, you know, struggle with sin and the incorporation of Ishmael into these promises. So we really ended yesterday with a disbelieving joy that how could this be but knowing that the Lord's promises are real? So, Pastor, as we look at chapter 18, we know the Lord comes to him again. Is there anything we need to look at? To make sure we're not losing, um, how do you say it? Losing really what the story is all about. Like in chapter 17, it was very obvious. It was the foreskins. Right, right. <laughs> like we don't want to talk too much about that, but we do need to touch on anything like that in chapter 18, e- even as we go into the next portion in Psalm Gomorrah.
1: Well, you know, I think the idea here is that you talk about this this disbelief versus unbelief. Disbelief, and I, I, maybe I'm making too fine of a point on it, but we talk about like unbelief. I mentioned earlier unbelieving Thomas. Disbelief, I don't necessarily equate with unbelief. You know, I, what did you call it? You said uh, a joyous disbelief. A
0: disbelieving joy. It was what Pastor Jewel okay. emphasized yesterday.
1: You know, I like that mm-hmm. because the idea here is not that they're not believing in God, but rather right. what's being said is kind of crazy. And it, it, we have to process it. We have to process it. It's not that we don't believe, it's just. Give us a second. And um, I think uh, we're going to see that with Sarah here in a few moments, too. But um, no, absolutely. Let's head right into the text with uh, with, let's do it. with uh, Abraham sitting by the oaks of Mamre.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's do a few verses here. Chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat down in the door of the tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and look and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. I'm going to stop there, Pastor, yeah. because this is, sets the
1: context. Your first thoughts. Well, remember that Mo, uh, Moses is telling us about Abraham, and the context here is that Abraham is like this, you know, nomad. And he's here at this particular place. This isn't his land. He's there by permission of somebody else, but it's a nice place to set up. And so he's sitting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Uh, Before we get to that, though, Moses tells us something that we're not 100% sure the characters uh, in the the account tell us right away, and that is that the Lord uh, is appearing to him, Yahweh. He begins by telling us that Yahweh appeared to Abraham. Does Abraham know that these three men who are walking up to his tent are a manifestation of God? You know, his reaction to their presence, is it because he knows that these are heavenly visitors or is it something else? So that's why I mentioned this idea that he's in this hot arid climate. He's a nomad. They have these rules of hospitality, and those things start to show themselves. And I think that sometimes because we have some advanced knowledge, because Moses just tells us the Lord appears to him, Yahweh appears to him, that we sometimes project our knowledge onto the uh, people in the event. So Hmm. some interesting background here that I discovered is that this idea of sitting at the door of your tent in the heat of the day is actually a pretty common thing to do for nomadic people of this culture. I mean, first of all, in the heat of the day, it's hot. You can't move, you can't work, you can't travel, and it's not that you don't want to, you just can't. Um, I spent some time in Haiti on several different occasions, and while probably not as hot or not quite the same climate, it gets hot, like, you know, Mexico, Cuba, kind of hot. And you'll find people in the middle of the day just laying under trees. And it's not because they're lazy or they don't have anything else to do. It's that it's just too physically taxing, especially in areas where you don't have air conditioning and all the things that that we have today. And so that's what he's doing. He's hanging out at the door of his tent. But it's not just that he's hanging out right there. He's doing something. He's actually looking for visitors. Now, we don't know that that's specifically what Abraham is doing, but it would not have been uncommon for people of this time to sit at the doors of their tents of their little dwellings and look for travelers who were away from home. You know, people as they pass by to invite them to come and share this meal with him because, well, it's the middle of the day. This is going to be their main meal of the day when they can't do much else. So it's not uncommon to find nomads looking for people to invite in. Uh, someone's away from their home in the scorching heat. It's only the right thing to do. So he's he's sitting there because it's hot. He's sitting there because he's waiting for the food to be prepared, and maybe he's actually sitting there looking for strangers to be hospitable to. And
0: I would affirm that with verse two. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. So he was he was ready for this. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the father ran to his son. I'm not trying to compare the prodigal the the father with with Abraham necessarily in this, but there's something to that that you don't really run to it if you're not looking for it. So there's definitely that, you know, he wants to be hospitable. He's doing that. He sees the three men and uh, and he greets them. um any any thoughts because you said, did he know this was the Lord? He does use the word, O Lord, but doesn't say, O Lord Yahweh. Any thoughts on, on that distinction?
1: Right. Well, exactly. So he does use the word Adonai, which is just Lord. Um, it's a very generic term. It could certainly mean God, uh, but it's not Yahweh, which we often will render l- as Lord in our English Bible. So as sort of a tradition of not using the name of God. Um I think it's interesting because we look at what's going on here. Moses is sitting in the dirt. I'm sorry, pardon me. Abraham sitting in the dirt. And Moses tells us that <laughs> Abraham, I know I do that all the time. And Moses tells us that <laughs> Abraham lifts up his eyes and looked and behold three men. Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of neat. You know, is it that he's sort of drowsy and he's dozing off in the heat and then <gasps> suddenly three men, uh, maybe, or is it just, um, Like we said earlier, you know, he's looking for people and these men stop a little ways away and behold, there they are. And he runs to them. I I don't know. I, I think whether or not Abraham immediately knows that this is a manifestation of Yahweh, we know. And because we know, because Moses has taken the time to tell us, I think we can see some significance in the language that Moses uses to introduce him. I mean, to say he lifts up his eyes gives us this visual of him looking up heavenward. Of course they're standing on the earth, but this we get this sort of symbolic way of looking upward. And then he sees this threefold apparition. Now I am not suggesting that this is an incarnate appearance of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But <laughs> but you know, with the in light of scripture interpreting scripture in light of the fact that we uh, are—God is Trinitarian and we are a triune people, yeah, I think we can look at that and go, yeah, you know, even if not on purpose, I don't think there's anything wrong with noticing that that, uh, or reminding ourselves of God's uh, unknowable nature, and here's these three. But some might suggest, though, um, that—and I think the text lends to this, though—that this is some sort of pre-incarnate appearance or at least a visually— Uh, uh, appearance of Yahweh accompanied by two angels making Mm -hmm. the three men. Um, Since both the men and Yahweh address Abraham during this event at separate times, right? Sometimes the men talk to him and sometimes Yahweh talks to him. It it seems as though that uh, Yahweh is being presented to Abraham as one of these men. And we don't get to it Hmm. uh, today, but in verse 22, It says that the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before Yahweh, or still stood, I should say, before Yahweh. And then we find out later in chapter 19 that only two angels arrive in Sodom. So I I think the tradition has been that we interpret this as one of the men is Yahweh presenting himself as a man, the other two are angels, and then two head on to Sodom while Abraham continues to talk to Yahweh. I think there's some other ways to look at that too, but you know what? I'm going to leave that up to your next guest to wrestle with that.
0: <laughs> Very good. And what a joy that will be. So, it, Pastor, it, like you said, there's there's the respect there. Yeah. There's there's that behold, you know, behold, look, uh, nature that we see all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, which we studied um, previous to Genesis. And it really is that, okay, time to listen up. This is going to be important and so he he asked for favor. You know, if, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. I found that fascinating mm-hmm. because there he knows that he wants these guys to be in his presence. It yeah. reminds me of, um, uh, do not leave me uh, when Jesus was walking uh, after his resurrection. That that they basically said, you know, stay with us, Lord, for his evening, and and uh, the night is almost almost here. That basically saying, stay with us. We're not quite sure who you are, but we want you with us. And that's, I think that's a, a yearning that we'll see a God reality as well that we all have, you know, Lord, don't pass by me. I want you to be with me now.
1: Ab- Any thoughts? Absolutely. You t- you talked earlier about, um, Abraham running to meet these mm, guys. Mm-hmm. We talked, you, 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 uh, you associated it with the prodigal son and the father who's this patriarch he has servants he has but what does he do he he runs right this you know wealthy guy gets up and runs which wouldn't necessarily been uh, something he would have to do in his station in life he could have sent a servant to go meet his son and you know we see a little significance in there well i think there's some significance here too abraham runs to see these guys abraham is a is a pretty well known powerful guy uh, in his area. And so the fact that he's running and then falling prostrate before these guys, falling down, and then saying, O oh Lord, singular, if I have found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Is this just mere, you know, hospitality? Uh, no, it seems to be, in my humble opinion, going just a smidge before. Something's laid on Abraham's heart, perhaps, that these are some respectable, honorable people that he wants to be in his presence, even if he isn't quite sure exactly why. And and we have this request, if I have found favor in your sight. I mean, to take it as a prayer of Abraham to that he already acknowledges and knows that this is a, a manifestation of God, I think might be a little too far. I mean, Abraham's just recently been told by Yahweh that he has found favor, and that was preceding the covenant that he got. So I just want to say that I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that Abraham could have immediately perceived these three men as a visitation by God. Heavenly visitors come to give him yet another message. He's certainly getting used to it by now. I'm just saying that, again, like I said earlier, we shouldn't let our inside knowledge be projected onto Abraham. I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the main point of the passage isn't the particularities of how God is approaching him with the message, but of course, that message that's getting ready to follow.
0: And so, well, that might be a sign that we should move on in the next few verses. Uh, Do you want to do that? Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) All right. Verse four, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Why, well, bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the, the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, the three says of fine flour, knead and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and calf that had been prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Well,
1: they obviously, Abraham and Sarah are hospitable people. What are your thoughts? Yeah, some water to wash their feet because they're dusty. Very common thing. Come rest under the tree. I'll bring you a morsel of bread so that you can head on your way. Uh, very, Yeah, very hospitable. Exactly what some traveling strangers would need. Um, I think it's interesting. You know, it says, it says quick. Three sayas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. This is what Abraham asks or says to his wife to do. Um, During this time, bread would not have been made until right before it was eaten. So it's not like there's a bunch of bread hanging around. And so we see here that Abraham wants to provide his now honored guests with a simple meal. Uh, Incidentally, and not to beat a dead horse, but if Abraham had already perceived that this was God or angels— I don't know if he would have offered food to him. But anyway, he asked Sarah to go and make cakes, three seahs of fine flour. Now, I have no idea how much a seah is. I'm sure if I looked at the bottom of my Bible, it would tell me, but I did Google it. And uh, I mean, I researched it. And my sources tell me that a seah is about a third part of an ephah. So that was helpful, and then an ephah I found out was equal to ten omers. I don't know if you knew that, and then the oh, wow. and then the hmm. omer is five pints, and then bringing this all to modern day uh, usages, that's just three pecks, right? So you you know what a peck is, um, if you mm. don't, right? Just for those who are listening, of course, I looked that up, and evidently, <laughs> a peck is eight dry. Quartz. Um, so I, I don't Oof, know the mm. difference between courts so I looked up eight dry quarts um, <laughs> which is 24 quarts and that is hundred eleven cups American so the point Ooh. is this is a ton of fried bread cakes for just three visitors a hundred eleven cups of flour or 24 dry quarts of flour to make all these little bread cakes you know in, in this this era, um, and even in the culture today down there, these w- they don't have utensils, so these bread is typically what you would use to uh, eat your food with. But even these, the ones that are mentioned here, a little bit more than bread, they're they're kind of twice fried in in oil and mm. milk, and uh, you know it sounds pretty good actually. Sounds great, right. I'm hungry. So yeah. Abraham, who may or may not already know that that these guys don't eat because they're spiritual, is making this huge meal for him. What a what a lavish offering! even of just the bread, if all he offered was the bread, it would just be an abundance. But then he adds to that a prepared calf and then the curds, which depending on who you ask, you know, could be like a buttermilk type drink, or maybe it's just butter or cheese curds and then milk itself. I mean, this is a feast. So Moses, Moses is telling us that Abraham has definitely gone beyond just the minimum hospitality to strangers this he perceives these people as extremely honored important guests and to add to that we're told that abraham stands by them under the tree while they ate the foods that he gives them he's standing by because you know do you need anything right can i go get you something can i refill your bread is 111 cups of flour bread enough You know, this is all consistent with hospitality, except for that prepared calf. So what we're seeing here is this has turned into something exceptionally special. Um, And I think that's I think the juxtaposition here is really neat because look at what Abraham offers them compared to what he gives them. In verses four and five, he says, rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread Mm. that you may refresh yourself, a morsel of bread. But then he provides them a feast. And, and while I don't think this text is in any way pointing us in this direction, I can't help but think about how in the Lord's Supper, Christ calls us to partake in just a morsel of bread and wine, but ultimately it is a feast of his true body and blood for the refreshment of our souls.
0: How can we not help but go there? But right now, we need to uh, get to our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 18 with Pastor Phil Boo, and we'll be right back.
1: This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus, from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org.
0: And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 18 with the Reverend Dr. Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Now, Pastor, I I, you know, you you went to the Lord's Supper on this, which we are able to do as we are able to put on our Christ goggles. I do think a lot about this. First of all, you had all the measurements known to humankind that, you know, even, even the cup thing, I think of it as how many cookies I could make. You know, right. I'm trying to think how many of those cups of flour I put in there before I make the, uh, you know, I actually don't ever bake it. I just eat it before it even gets to the the oven. But anyways, it, uh, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of them in there. So that's a lot of cookies is what I'm thinking right yeah. now. But the hospitality that they share with, these three guys, whether they know it's the Lord and two angels or not, it's a lot of hospitality. So I do think about that a little bit. And maybe this is going off track, but I want to go off track yeah. because hospitality its part of who we are as Christians to other people. And why is that important for us? hospitality and to to serve our neighbor, um, to 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 provide for the needs of our neighbor and to love him and to love others as he's called us. Any thoughts on that as we look at Abraham?
1: Well, yes, absolutely. I, I think that if we jump too fast into saying that Abraham immediately recognizes this as God and wants to provide God with all these great things, then I think we're going to end up drawing the wrong point, that somehow mm. Abraham's faithfulness to God means that when God shows up, Abraham has to serve God in all these lavish ways. Instead, if we understand that Abraham doesn't quite yet know that these uh, these men are is God and angels, but rather he just still believes that they're strangers, you're right. He's showing his faith by providing for his neighbor's needs, and not just providing for his neighbor's needs in the most basic way, but in these very lavish ways. Who knows that this while this is exceptional in terms of what would have been expected from hospitality, who knows that this isn't what Abraham always does because he has lots of wealth and he shares that wealth with these other people. So so these could just be people who he's expecting to help as he would any other day. But he uh, I don't want to use the word wrongly, but he flaunts his faithfulness by using the wealth that God's (laughs) given him. To uh, to really kind of, I mean, show off, but in like the best possible way, you know, I certainly Abraham isn't sinless, but I'm not saying that he's you know, being prideful here. I'm just saying, you know, if you go to um, someone who's you know, very wealthy, they often want to show you a good time by by using what they've been given. But, you know, even more to the simpler point. Meals together, especially during this time, is a big deal. This intimate shared meal together is establishing a bond. And we now making that bridge to today, we share that bond with others by not only serving them according to their needs, but also partaking what others offer us. Because think about it, much was much ado had been made in the commentaries about whether these three visitors, who we already know are Yahweh and angels, whether they actually ate anything, right? They don't need to eat anything. But then the Bible that here, Moses tells us that they sat under the tree and they ate. So are they actually eating? Or are they imitating eating, like pretending or <laughs> or or doing it in such a way that it appears as if they're eating? Obviously, I don't think too much needs to be made of this, but you know, I think about Christ our Lord. After his resurrection, here he is, and he's eating with his disciples. Mm. Not because he's Mm. hungry, he doesn't need to eat, but he's eating because of that relationship that he has with them. So, you know, these angels and Yahweh's uh, appearance here is perhaps eating out of deference to Abraham's faithfulness. Uh, I did find an Augustine quote. So I think I've gotten the Lutheran bingo. I haven't quoted Luther yet, but uh, I've mentioned the Lord's Supper. I've mentioned baptism, I think. Uh, Now i got to quote Augustine. (laughs) I'm sorry, Augustine. Uh, Speaking about Christ eating, Augustine says, that he ate was rather of of power than of necessity. Uh, I would just shorten that to say God can do what he wants, right? So if we see God eating, Let's not get hung up on, well, can God eat? Let's just say, hey, look, God ate. Isn't that neat? He's participating with his people. And that's what's happening here too. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. As Christians, we serve our neighbors, but we also build relationships with them by uh, partaking in what they offer us too. It's interesting because
0: looking at all those dynamics that you brought up, I mean, like you're saying, you're bringing out all the big guns here Mm -hmm. today is is that reality of the simplicity of him sitting there with them i think is a good a good reminder for us on on various levels one a reminder that first of all that you know we are there with people as christian people that we're not just you know we're not just sending money but we are there just like you hopefully would be with your child if they are in need or your your bride or your or your spouse that they would, you would be there with them and i remember specifically one time i went to a confirmation party And to go to confirmation parties are, they're they're kind of fun, but also a lot of times they have like everybody and you, and you don't know them, and then your whole family's there, and then who do you talk to? And I will never forget the father of the confirmand uh, left the kind of family group, and when we were sitting, he went and sat with us for a good 10, 15 minutes. Well, he didn't need to do that, but he did. And that shows that hospitality, and also just as another Side note of the reality of what we are to do as Christians while we understand our omnipresent God, the one, uh, behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age, that this is what he does for us all the time. Um, And so it just, I don't know, I'm making a lot of connections in that dynamic, but just to see that the hospitality brings us back to Hebrews chapter 13 which says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And so that that's an interesting dynamic too is maybe he's following some of those commands. You know, he doesn't know they're angels, but yet was entertaining them with the command of the Lord even though that's New Testament, but anyways We're getting a lot out of this to this point. Pastor, anything else you want to highlight in the first
1: eight verses? No, I just, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a a great connection here.
0: Wonderful. So let's continue on because now they're going to start speaking. You know, hopefully their mouths were closed when they were um, eating and they didn't start, you know, like a good Minnesotan, they make sure they finish their last bite before they start talking. So we'll see what happens. Anyways, verse nine. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord Yahweh said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord Yahweh? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So, Pastor, this is, I mean, fascinating stuff that we could pull out of this as well. But they start talking and start talking, I would say, crazy things. And Sarah's kind of that that cook in the kitchen this this kind of listening to those who were eating her meal and so break that down for us this story. Well,
1: I think it's amusing that you started this by saying that they uh, they had good manners, right? They they did not <laughs> they didn't talk with their mouth. You don't know this, but you're hoping that they know. didn't. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, it's good that they didn't make any faux pas except they did make a faux pas as soon as they opened their mouth because We've been talking about hospitality culture that's been on display. Well, the first cultural faux pas happens right here. These visitors ask Abraham about his wife. You see, this would have been inappropriate for someone to ask if they weren't family. You know, where's your Mm -hmm. wife? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, they should know where she is. She's in the tent. But not only that, this, this suggests that these men are exuding or at least demonstrating and maybe they've said things that aren't recorded in scripture, but they, they've they given Abraham this understanding that they do have some authority by this point. You know, if Abraham was offended, we aren't told, but I don't think he was. I think by this point, Abraham has certainly gotten a good hold on the fact that this is an unusual visit and the way in which they asked for Sarah, you know, exuded this authority that suggests that in a way they were there because of her or for her. Now, of course, we know they were there for her. Because God is now going to reveal to Sarah, you know, even in this unusual way, what Abraham already knows, that she will bear a son, Isaac, and that through him, God will fulfill that covenant that he made with him. And this is also an example, I think, of uh, when God, who knows all things, is asking humans questions that he already knows the answer to. So they say, where's your wife, Sarah? and he already knows because he's God. He already knows because she's where a wife would be in in the tent in this in this situation. And and there's some significance then I think in asking Abraham where his wife is. But also because of where the Lord the speaker is standing, it says Yahweh said I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And it says Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Well, I think maybe this was spoken so that Sarah would 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 pay a little bit more attention. You know, God already knows that she's eavesdropping, but you know, this way, you know, hey, we're talking about you. And so for the first time, by the way, in verse 10, it actually uh, Moses describes the speaker as Yahweh, Yahweh said. Or the Lord said, Mm -hmm. and so is it that one of the three men is the Lord speaking Um, or on a first read, you might think the three men are just standing there silent while Yahweh speaks from heaven. But that's easily answered if you just keep reading, because Moses describes the position of the speaker who he describes as Yahweh. Uh, You know, Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Um, She wasn't able to hear. She was listening Um, And so the Lord, in this case, has now been identified as one of the three men. And so the message that we get, though, is pretty much the same that Abraham has already been told in chapter 17. He already knows that Sarah will bear a son. The only really new information is the timing, that it will happen basically within a year. So for Sarah, she's listening behind the door. God knows she's eavesdropping, but... Despite the revelation of the timing, I think that this shows that the encounter was just as much for Sarah as it was for Abraham. Because, you know, Moses interjects with a bit of background, which we already knew also from the previous chapter, but Sarah and Abraham were old, advanced in years, and then he says the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I think that's a very delicate way to put it. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Of course, the whole Ishmael kerfuffle demonstrates that the way of women had never been with Sarah. But you can add to that now the advanced years and age, and it shows us what was about to happen was in every single way impossible, except with the power of God.
0: And she responds, is you know, it's, it's it's an interesting dynamic, like you said, the the speaking of God to His people. Where are you? Mm-hmm. And then you know, where is she? Oh, she's in there. Okay, and then and then they say something that you know Abraham already knows. Sarah hears it. She laughs, probably a little chuckle, like you and I would have when our kids are playing somewhere else and you hear them say something funny. It's not like this big gurgling laugh that everyone can hear, but just kind of a small one. And then all of a sudden, boom, why did she laugh? Yep. It's kind of one of these crazy omniscience of God situations. Well, at the same time, the disbelieving joy that we we yep. talked about before is, she's like, well, yeah, right, I'm, I'm way past that point. But yet, well, it's God, so this could be true. It's yep. it's this great play on between Sarah and the Lord and Abraham in between, if you will. So what are your thoughts?
1: I think she's right to laugh. I mean, I -hmm. I think many people read this passage and they see it as this like indignation on on Sarah's part, which is fair, right? She's had all these years and she's been unable to bear a child. And now out of the blue, when she's 90 years old, far past the time that any human woman could give birth, she's now given this promise. So like we've said a couple of times, I don't, yeah, I don't read Sarah's laughter as abject unbelief so much as what, um, what is called an excited utterance. An excited utterance is when you kind of can't help yourself and you blurt it out. Uh, excited utterances, utterances um, are uh, have like a special condition in court in terms of evidence because you haven't had time to plan what you're going to say. And so an excited utterance often will reveal your true thoughts uh, even before you've had a chance to filter what you want to say. And so I think just the absurdity of it all causes her to laugh to herself. Um, I had a parishioner once who struggled with some of the miracles uh, that happen in the Bible, some of the amazing things that God does. And, you know, the question is, well, you know, you have a hard time believing, say, Jonah spent three days in the belly of a great fish or you have a hard time believing that the, uh, the Red Sea was split in two. You have a hard time believing that Jesus walked on water. Then you ask, well, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And they go, well, of course. Of course I do. And you want to ask, really? Right, that you believe, but you don't believe these other things? <laughs> I mean, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Well, this is why I believe that being a Christian, being a believer in God, isn't a volunteer thing, right? God gives us faith. We believe things that are written in the Bible because of the faith that we have in Christ. We believe in the miraculous events of the Bible, not because we're convinced that they are reasonable, but because God has given us faith that what is written and recorded there is true, that the promises that he tells us will come to pass. But in our sinful natures, but also just in uh, according to human reason, some of the things sound just wild. They sound crazy. It's like a ninety-year-old woman having a baby. And so when Sarah laughs, I don't think it's so much as you know, oh, I, I, you know, I am so upset. I should have gotten this gift before. I just won't believe it until it happens. Kind of like a like a unbelieving Thomas. I think it really is more of a wow. I I can't believe that God is just now going to fulfill this desire that I have. But but besides, one more thing, though, on this point, we do know later that she believes. Hebrews 11.11. 11. Hebrews 11.11 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, because she considered him faithful who had promised. So whether it was in the immediate context that she believe that these messengers were God's word were God sharing God's word or whether later she came to that conclusion you know we certainly don't want to paint Sarah's laugh as an example of somehow that she's this unfaithful person
0: and this is where oh man it, 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 those are such powerful words for us to not become internal fruit inspectors mm-hmm. not to become external uh, inspectors of people's, uh, intentions because we can easily look at that small moment of ah, that doesn't make any sense as a lack of faith or we can look at somebody else's maybe a small reaction to something as a lack of faith or a misunderstanding and they are no longer in the faith. And this is something that I've had to learn a lot about because I you know there's there's that natural tendency, to overthink my own thoughts, and to overreact to other people's small reactions. Because this laughter obviously was not this big reaction, right. um, but it was something that was there. So we all have to be patient. We pray for the Lord's patience. We also have to go back to the cross. This is why, as, as you spoke about the Lord's Supper, that we receive those things to receive that assurance to be reminded this is not about my questions that I might have or my weakness, but it's about the Lord and his strength and his gifts. Any thoughts on that? We can be very quick to look around and to try to overly interpret things that we don't have full assurances on. Like Sarah's laugh, we could easily just see it as, well, she doesn't have faith. and Good thing I never laugh at
1: God or (laughs) those kind of things. Um, Any thoughts? (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, I guess I think also biblically of Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? It's almost Mm -hmm. the exact same situation. There's this parallel here. You know, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, says she's going to give birth. And what does Zechariah say? He says, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? and i think it's too seems, yeah i think it's seems reasonable I think, seems reasonable exactly i think it's too <laughs> strong to call this unbelief it's it's more like this little disbelief surprise you know we we poor mortals need a few minutes to process things uh, of course in zechariah's case the angel gave him plenty of time to process it uh, by making him mute until he should <laughs> come to that understanding but then right we have this response from the lord and funny enough yahweh does not respond to Sarah. He doesn't call into the tent and say, hey, Sarah, what do you mean? What are you laughing in there for? He says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? See, the Lord questions Abraham about why Sarah is laughing. He wouldn't have heard her laugh, but he's God. He knows her disposition. And so I wonder, and I'm just wondering, if the reason why god is posing this question to abraham rather than to sarah directly is because has abraham not prepared sarah for this news i mean surely she's asked why he's going around calling her sarah not sarai so haven't they had this conversation god has already told abraham that she would bear a son so why is she caught off guard if that's what's happening so i wonder if this is a, you know kind of scolding of abraham as much as it is of sarah's surprise but then then we have you know uh, it going on, but yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what's going on here a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading. It, it. it isn't.
0: It is interesting. No, I, I, I think I think you're on the right track, and I think that as we look at it, verse 15 just shows us once again our normal predisposition when it comes to if someone were to come to me and say, "Did you say this?" My natural reaction is to try to justify it or deny it. As opposed to, well, repent of it and say, you know what, you're right. I need to trust better, yeah. and and you're right. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. So she denied it and said, I didn't laugh for she was afraid, which I could see that. Yep. This is kind of terrifying to think about being 90 plus years old and having a child. That would be terrifying. Just like if you know, if if 20 years from now my wife says I'm pregnant. I mean, this right. is just like, whoa, what? This is this is you know, this is terrifying for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) That that line kind of confuses me a little bit. Verse 15. What do you thought?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, she's, she's questioning what's going on, but then again, so did Zechariah. So did Mary, the mother of our Lord. How will this be since I am a virgin? Right. And he says, Hmm. nothing's going to be impossible with God. Well, the Lord says to Abraham or to Sarah sort of through Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? And you're right. She denies it. By the way, when she denies it, I don't think, and maybe somebody will disagree with me, but I don't think this denials immediate, right? He's he always speaking to Abraham. Abraham, uh, Sarah's in the tent. I don't think Sarah points out her head and goes, I didn't laugh. I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> and then God says, yeah, you did. I, d- d- I mean, it doesn't <laughs> ring true. I I think what this is is an interjection that later Abraham is approaching Sarah, and that's when she denies it. The denial comes later, and she says, I didn't laugh. And I think it's Abraham who says, No, but you did laugh, Um, which is also consistent with the fact that Yahweh is, you know, treating Abraham according to his vocation as the head of his household, in addition to being the patriarch that will, from whom will come all these nations. But yeah, I think that's that natural, you know, you know, well, we weren't hiding from you, Lord, from Adam and Eve, you know, this, this, Mm -hmm. this defensiveness, Mm -hmm. this sin, this ability to try to, or this desire to try to defend ourselves, even when we're caught. Um, yeah, that's absolutely 100% natural concupiscence, right? Natural human sinful behavior. Nice, nice.
0: Now you've really, now you've, now you've really, Lutheran, you got concupiscence. I, I haven't gotten
1: Latin, Latin, Greek, or Hebrew in yet, so we have two verses. Yeah, well, we only got a few minutes left. <laughs> so let me,
0: let me read the rest of our verses because it really is, and we've talked about this. These verses will lead to our next study, which will be on the end of chapter 18. So we just want to, we want to touch on it as our guest that our next guest will be able to touch more on it but we'll read to the end verses 16 through the end of or to 21 Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom and Abram Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord Yahweh said shall I hide from Abraham about what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. It kind of ends in an awkward position here, but there definitely is. The eyes are turning towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Pastor, we have about three minutes left in our time. How do you want to start us off for our next step?
1: Right. So this transition is taking place, transition 16 with the Minnesota goodbye, because we see here, (laughs) well, Abraham doesn't just say bye. He went with them to set them on their way. Uh, I, you know, you have to say goodbye in the house, and then it moves to the door, and then it moves outside, it moves down to the car, and at some point they actually leave. And so this is what Abraham's doing. The, the hospitality is is still strong, even though now he's 100% sure this is God appearing to him. Um, and what happens next, though, is Yahweh having a, a monologue, a, a soliloquy. I believe he's talking to himself, but maybe audibly, so that Abraham could hear And so he's contemplating whether he or not, you know, this is what it appears to be, that he's contemplating whether or not he should reveal to Abraham what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I mean, let's face it, God knows all things. He's not actually trying to decide. He's not in a quandary. He knows what he'll do. um, And he knows that he's going to reveal it to Abraham. So the words, why, why, why the soliloquy? Why it being recorded by Moses? Well, they're for Abraham's benefit, for our benefit, too right? The point is revealed in verse 19. He says the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, or actually, no, sorry, I was going to say the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be obvious, but he says in 19 that Abraham may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Off the air, we talked about um, contrition. We talked about Mm -hmm. doing... Having our faith result in works, essentially. Um, living the Christian life is about you know, following after God. And so there are consequences to our sins. And so you know, because Abraham's obviously going to see Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, Yahweh is leading him to understand exactly why judgment is coming upon them. And then, yeah, it ends in this great, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so very grave, this takes us right back to Cain and Abel. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and this gives color to what's happening here. There's a cry out, an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. The city's not just so well known for its licentiousness and evil, but rather It's like this personification of the earth crying out to God because of the sins that are happening upon it. And so we've moved from this great blessing that's going to happen through Abraham, maybe a little scolding because of the surprised disbelief uh, or the disbelief of joy, I think he said. But now we're moving to, but I am a just God. I do punish sin. And this is, um, yeah, leading us into a dark place that will eventually, though, shine light on God's salvation through Christ.
0: Pastor Phil Boo of St. John's Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, giving us God's wrong word from Genesis chapter 18. Pastor Boo, thank you for bringing us his
1: gifts. I'm always happy to be on, thank you.
0: I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.